0: I'm Bill Bennett, and welcome to the show. It's called The Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Donald Trump. We take a look at the current administration. We address the existential threats to America, which I take it from the Democrat Convention is Donald Trump. That is the threat.
1: Will we be translating the Democrat Convention at all on the show, or are we just strictly translating President Trump? I think we'll do a
0: little translation okay. of the Democratic Convention. Joining us today, Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group. I am a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Brian is also the chairman of the committee on the present danger, China. China didn't get a lot of mention at the Democrat convention. I noticed. No, nothing. We'll also check in with our friend Joel Farkas. We'll find out where people are going, going to, moving out of. What's the activity level in the country? He's the director of the American Strategy Group. So we got a lot of American Strategy Group business today. It's just good. It's just good. They're doing good work. And you're a friend of the American
1: Strategy. Group. Yes, I am. And present danger, China. Excellent. The committee yeah. on the present
0: danger, China. Let me discuss a few things with you first. Did you watch the convention?
1: Yeah, I didn't watch a lot of it. Uh, I saw pieces of uh, uh, Vice President Joe Biden, the nominee, not the whole speech. I watched a little bit of former President Barack Obama, former First Lady Michelle Obama, and Kamala Harris.
0: Anything impress you? Uh, You know what? I I don't mean to
1: put it that way. I mean, what impressed you the most? What impressed me the most was the way they pulled it off in a virtual setting. I mean, number one, just from a technical standpoint, that's a hard thing to do without – the energy in a room or without the energy in the room or a crowd like that. And so I think that the approach from that standpoint uh, was pretty impressive. Um, it, it dawned on me, you know, that, that the appeal is not uh, policy. Uh, the appeal, the politics is all about feeling it's, it's, you know, Joe, Joe's a good guy. We need someone in office to, you know, doesn't uh, have lines that make you cover your kids' ears and things like that. You know, um, four more
0: hugs. Exactly. <laughs> That's my, I think is the campaign That's slogan. The I think he's actually going to hug everybody in America. I think that was the promise, right? Because yeah. I think if you added up all the hugs, well, he's a hugger. In the, in the four, yeah, some so, a little more yeah, creepy than so, others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm going to watch that. <laughs>
1: he gets handsy. I know,
0: but there wasn't much in the way of policy. Nothing in the way, by the way, of policy for the most part. I mean, so it was. I'm a good guy. I'm empathetic. I hug a lot. And 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 Trump is wicked. Right.
1: Wicked. Bad. Evil. Yeah. You know. Um. And what's what's the slogan? Uh, build back better.
0: Yeah. I don't know this what that weird. means. Yeah, yeah. I don't. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is that a steal from First Lady who said be best? Yes. Be best. Build back better. It seems like it, right? I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so they decided to kind of float above the conflict. Mm-hmm. I am curious as to whether any Democrats, what they'll say when asked about these riots, not just the peaceful demonstrations, but the freaking right. riots, right? killing people, attacking cops, you know, random mayhem, blowing up stuff, mm-hmm. explosive. And I heard only one Democrat interviewed, and it was Dick Durbin, Illinois, and he said, Oh, we have too many guns in the street. I mean, that's just insufficient. Right. Now, my question to you is, since you're, you know, you're not tied to one channel or another, when you watch TV, do you see reports of these riots on TV? Ah oh, man, you know what? CBS, I see? NBC,
1: ABC. I do see. Re- I see reports on the network. You do cable news. I don't see much. I don't see much of the CNN, the, msn Yeah, but you see it on CBS, ABC. I do. I do. All right,
0: that's good.
1: Especially right. when it gets when it gets bad. I mean, a lot of the Portland stuff. I think it was two weeks ago in Chicago. I think it was like a Tesla or an Apple store that was broken into. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That yeah. that I saw reports. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how it shapes up now. What did you think? I thought it was pretty boring. It's hard to do, you know, I'll give him credit. It's hard to do, but it was pretty boring. Um, you know, Hollywood stars, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and right. uh, what's her name from Desperate Housewives? Eva, Long- Eva Longoria. Longoria. Eva Longoria, yeah. right. right. So I'm not a fan, so I don't know these things. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, I, I'll tell you the one thing that really did bother me, though, this, just this conviction about systematic racism. I, d- I just don't buy it. I don't believe it. I believe there are racists in this country. I think they're few and far between, but I think they're there. But this notion that we are infused, you know, just up and down and all through with race, I just don't buy it. I don't know. I just, I, 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 I'm thinking of it here not in terms of accuracy so much because I don't think it's accurate. But in terms of a selling point, I, I think you just keep telling Americans that, that they're deeply racist. I just, most of them aren't. We right. agree on that, right? Yeah, yeah, the vast sure. majority. I still think that works. I mean, I think people are prepared to say, "Yeah, there are problems, obviously, and historically problems." But I just, as a selling point, you know, you got to buy that. You know, we're still the systematic racism, and I think people are tired of it.
1: But people are afraid. I think the climate is people are afraid to say that they don't buy it. Oh, of
0: course you, you can't, because if
1: you say you don't buy it, then you're racist. Make it burned down by right. somebody.
0: No, I just I think it's an unfortunate situation. We've been trying to be constructive here. Having our national conversation, you know, on race, but um, I just, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't, I, I don't see it as convincing. Again, I'm not talking about it as true or false. I think it's false, but uh, in terms of a, uh, um, in a claim, an argument, um, uh, to persuade people to come their way, I just don't think it works. I'm just looking up something here. I got it from Seth a uh, COVID, how COVID should be reported. I'm gonna go through this slowly. There've been 70 million tests. Okay. Sixty-four million are negative. Okay, that's a high percentage. Six million are positive. Okay, positivity rate, therefore, of about 9%. Total deaths, 173,000 at this point. Death rate as a percent of positive tests, 2.7%. Wow. Okay. Death rate as a percent of total tests, 0.24. low. Population, 331 million people. Mortality rate, 0.05% citizen in America, a nation of 330 million people, chance of you not dying because of COVID is 99.95%. That's a high percentage. Pretty high. Mm -hmm. Let me make this point. Of not dying. Right. But here's what's interesting. A poll asked Americans uh, about COVID. How many uh, people have had uh, COVID? Americans, 20%. They believe 20% have had it. And how many uh, Americans have died from it? They believe 9%. The reality, 1% of Americans have had it, 0.04% have died from it. Mm. So the reason I say this in connection with our discussion about the campaign is a big premise, I think, of the four nights was that this thing is, you know, it's devastating, it's raging, and there's no stopping it. But I think, obviously, 173,000 deaths is nothing to be happy about, mm-hmm. but... It's not what people think it is. It's not as large, big, and Mm all-pervasive. And, again, it mostly focuses on the elderly with underlying conditions. So I think some realism there is required. Anyway, that's one thing. Uh, The other thing is um, schools and back to school. Mm -hmm. And um, it looks like we're not going back to school. Yeah, Uh, all virtual. At least not in the major cities. And I just think the unions are being so intransigent about this. Uh, I just think it's crazy. So I think a lot of parents are in a pickle right now. It's the end of August, and their kids aren't going back, and it's going to be virtual. What are they going to do? Exactly.
1: I mean, the parents who aren't working from home, you know, what are you going to do with the kids who are going to be home now? And you can't take them to work because a lot of workplaces still have uh, guidelines because of COVID where they don't want anyone other than essential personnel in the office. And if you can't bring the kids with you, they're not essential, essential
0: personnel to the workplace. No, I just think it just, it's just a terrible thing. And yeah, you know, odds of the kids getting it are small if they get it. Odds of recovery are huge odds of them passing it on are small i just i just think the teachers and universities behave very badly here and i think it's a shame uh we'll have more to say later uh we got two smart guests we'll talk to brian kennedy we'll talk to joel farkas and uh we'll pick up a lot of these issues good You're
1: listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Show. All right, let's jump in with Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group, chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Mr. Kennedy, I gave you your introduction, but I forgot to add uh, your new book. Oh, it's great. Um, It's an encounter book. It's available on Amazon. Communist China's War Inside America. Inside America. Very interesting. We'll get to that. Let's talk about that in a bit. Is that okay? You bet. Convention. Democrats had one. Did you know that?
2: You know, I did. Uh, It was among the saddest things I've ever seen. Really? How? Tell us why. (laughs) Sad. Uh, Well, sad in the sense that I saw a bunch of my countrymen who were unhappy, who had had a very bad education, who didn't know what a great country this was, and were just beside themselves that Donald Trump was president. And they couldn't believe it. And I felt at at one point I felt genuinely sorry that they had been given such bad education and did not understand what was so great about this country.
0: Yeah, not much said about American greatness here, was there really at all?
2: No, no, there was that. But I mean, the really striking uh, and chilling thing, I thought, was the fact that in America's major cities, we have violent insurrections going on, where businesses are being destroyed, people are being killed, their livelihoods are being ruined forever. And the Democrats were absolutely silent about that. And didn't say they weren't condemning the violence in any way, which used to be de rigueur for for such things. But they were silent, which in a way was encouraging the violence to continue. And they were, they were complicit in this insurrection by doing so. And I thought it was, as I say, chilling and also shameful and a real sign of the regime crisis that we're in today.
0: I was saying to Claude earlier... Um that I'd been looking mostly in vain for a Democrat to say something about these riots, uh, destructive uh, acts of aggression on, you know, people and property in the United States, and been looking as well for someone to ask him the question. I, I saw someone asked, I think it was on Bill Hemmer on Fox the other day, uh, Bill Dick Durbin, and his answer was, well, there are too many guns out in the street, and so sort of threw it back and at... at uh, Trump and gun control. That's that's not it. I mean, first of all, these guys are using explosives. They're using you know knives and uh, powder and all sorts of things that they can uh, to wreak violence in our cities. And it also continues that in many of these cities, they are still considering cutting cutting the police force,
2: and are cutting the police force. Yeah, forces. and are yeah, yeah. I no, think, that's that that's a really that's a really despicable thing here.
0: I think I think as C.S. Lewis's phrase: "When the when you're out in the boat and it's half filled with water, you know, don't get out the fire hoses." Right. Uh, I mean, what are we doing here? What's going on? This is craziness, <laughs> madness. Now, let me just jump to the conclusion: if they won't speak to this. And the American people notice it, and I and I was talking to Claude. I, I said, "You know, do, is this being shown on the, most of the networks?" He said he thought it was. I would love your opinion on that. I haven't seen much of it, but I don't watch the networks much. If the American people are watching this, there—I mean—they're going to stand for this. This is a. This will be a great argument for Donald Trump, won't it?
2: I think absolutely. I don't think many people were watching it. It was mostly unwatchable.
0: No, I don't mean watching the convention. I mean watching and seeing. Are most Americans aware of this kind of out of control violence in the streets? I think so. You do. You do think so? Okay.
2: Well, partly partly because everybody knows somebody who lives somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah one of those things. The, de-
2: the degrees of separation. I have I have children in Seattle. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's not it's not that far removed from experience. And so I talk about it to my friends and they talk about it to their friends and, and so on. It, you know, it's very difficult to see America's major cities being destroyed this way and not to say something about it. It's
0: kind of extraordinary, yeah. isn't it?
2: Well, I I I do think it is now become the Democrat project, the project of the left in America to take apart the country. I was, uh, I was very disturbed if I could segue into this, uh, by the recent report by John Podesta talking about war gaming out the election and what would happen if, if, you know, Biden loses and the possibility that, you know, states that Biden won, like California, Oregon, and Washington would secede from the union. Now, And so, John Podesta was a senior member of the Clinton, you know, establishment. And for him to be talking publicly that way about seceding from the union and picking the states that are closest to communist China, that is remarkable. And that should be a sign of what the Democratic Party is thinking. It's thinking about taking apart the country. If they can intimidate their way to victory, fine. But if not, they're going to take apart the country. What else can we make of what they're doing in America's major cities and the silence of the democratic leadership? I mean, th- th- it can be no clearer than that. And this is a regime crisis that we have not had since the Civil War. And one could argue that we are less healthy now intellectually and politically than we were during the Civil War.
0: We agreed on more then, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We had the one big
2: disagreement, right? Right. And we fought a war about it. Yeah. And, but now, now what do the Democrats agree on? So this program
0: to destroy the country, I mean, are, are you saying that Joe Biden is part of this program to destroy the country?
2: Of course not. And the reason is I don't I, I think poor Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a guy who uh, he's been criticized lately for the for the, the bill you and he were part of back in the 90s, the crime yeah. bill. Yeah, And he seemed back then like a pretty moderate Democrat. Mm-hmm. But as he's gotten older, he's become, I think, less inclined to defend his more moderate views and much more inclined to simply adopt the radical left's pronouncements, whatever they may be. And I think that's partly why he was chosen as the nominee of the Democratic Party, because he was so malleable. And they they've paired him with... A radical leftist in Kamala Harris, who, you know, she will be the president if Biden, God forbid, wins. In effect, she will be she will be the president because he simply doesn't have any any presence anymore to him to decide one way or the other about this.
0: Do you think this was in any way persuasive to the people whom the Democrats have to persuade? You know, the what was it, five, ten percent of the moderates who haven't made up their minds yet.
2: No, I don't think it was persuasive at all. All right, a part I, mean, of, I, I don't think I don't think any part of it was persuasive. People look around, they think they have a good country, and they're wondering why they're being locked down because of the coronavirus. If they are, and they wonder why America's cities are being burned.
0: Yeah. What about another thing? Um, kind of, it was kind of. I'll get to the odd point here in a minute, but the, the other one, the other underlying theme was this country of systematic racism. Well, the American people have been called racist now for a long time. aren't they getting tired of it? and isn't it just not true? I mean I don't think it's true. no systematic racism, of course they're racist but um and, and there's, well, there's, yeah no it's, it's, and there, no. and there's no systematic racism and the case against Trump on this depends upon a distortion of what he said and did at Charlottesville. when you know and this came up several times that he was talking about good people on both sides. He wasn't talking about the the Klan people he was talking about the Right-wing skinheads. He was talking about people who didn't want to see the statues taken down, and those who did.
2: Right. No, they, I think they're just grasping at straws here on this. They're walking First into of all, a punch,
0: though, aren't they? I mean, can't can't that just be corrected by the record? Just that specific thing that that's clear. Well, I think
2: it also it also just flies in the face of every, people's everyday experience. Right. Does anybody? I mean, have you ever met a racist? You may have met a couple people who are real jerks. Yeah. But actual, you know, racists not that many no, not systemic many. racist, systemic racism. America is systemically anti-racist. Yeah. It's- we are founded on the principle that all men are created equal. We have fought our entire existence to defend that principle. And the idea that we are systemically racist is simply to propagate a lie and, and to do it in a way almost like the communists or the Nazis. Both of those groups would take a falsehood and propagate it so forcefully that they would bully people into believing it. And most Americans look at that and they think, that's not true. It's not my experience. How, sure. how, how do these people represent me? I've never seen that. I don't believe that. I don't know anybody who does believe yeah. that. That's, that's why, by the way, uh, you know, to cut to the chase. I, I think President Trump is in an outstanding position here. And, you know, for all my friends on the right who are often in despair about things, I, I've never been more confident about the president getting reelected uh, than today. Really? Yeah. Simply because he he represents what is good and true about this country. And all of us are very imperfect people, but we're trying to defend something which we know is noble and good, and that is the American experiment. And we don't want to tear it down. And Donald Trump is on the front lines of defending everything we hold dear. And I think people, especially having watched this Democrat convention, are going to think, He's our man. So
0: here's the thing. Um, and again, I just it's partly humorous, but here's this party which is being driven, you know, to the transformation of the United States to the left. will not acknowledge the evil, absolute evil of these people who are destroying property, lives, attacking cops. And yet the sort of overarching theme is Joe's a nice guy, empathetic. Um, yeah i'm gonna hug but four years i will hug everybody in the country so much hugging and as uh, claude pointed out some of that hugging has been objected to slightly yeah uh, kind of touchy yeah pansy yeah. empathy i mean i just thought it was dreary dreary and one guy nailed something good you know you've heard me a million times brian give the uh, uh the gates speech you know why do you know how do you tell if it's a good sure. country? And I said to the high school student, because every country has gates, and when you raise them, which way do people run? Do they run in or do they run out? We raise our gates, people run in. Even when we don't raise our gates, people run in. They climb in, they do whatever they can. Steve Cortez, who's a consultant, a Hispanic guy supporting uh, Trump, said, not only is this the, the part of the world, the country in the world, most people want to come to, this is by far the most sought-after place to come to in the world by people of color, by people of color. Disproportionately, people of color want to come to the U.S. compared to people who are white and Caucasian.
2: I mean, how bad can it be, Brian? Well, as you and I know, who love the country, we know it's a great place. Why would, uh, you know, I I know you know this, but who's even thinking about color? Anybody on the planet not blessed to be born here wants to come here. Yeah, I know, I know. Of any color, because they know this is the land of freedom and opportunity.
0: All right, so the, the picture that they paint is one that I think, sort of final comment here, is unfamiliar to most Americans. The, the picture that was painted over four days of America is not the America most people think now. They have made some inroads on this COVID thing simply by telling people, you know, the, the horror of it and the all-pervasiveness of it. And a lot of people have bought it. Because if you look at people's opinions about how widespread it is and how destructive it is, it's a lot more exaggerated in their minds than it is in reality. So they've almost made a sale on that. And this is a big part of their sale. The country's in such awful, awful shape because of this awful, awful pandemic. And it's actually more the actions of governors which has been so destructive. I don't mean to diminish the 170,000 deaths, but just just a couple things. Most of those people are quite old. Of underlying conditions and this is about a third of what we lose in the same period or half of what we lose in the same period of time to heart disease cancer and other things i said a lot there any any comment you want to make
2: yeah no i think well no i think that's absolutely right it's just that i think americans may be interested in getting past COVID in a big way and joe biden is doubling down on all the COVID regulations right so the minute Joe Biden becomes president, we're going to have a national masking law, yeah, or regulation. And so, does anybody want to vote for that? I don't.
0: What the hell were those people doing wandering around in the drive-in movie afterwards, not wearing masks?
2: By the way, they were outside. Well, what, what I didn't get was they were in their cars mostly. Why were Why were the cars socially distant? Were the cars <laughs> going to catch COVID? I mean. This was it was embarrassing. Look, I I think our enemies look at all this and they think, what is America thinking here? What are these idiots doing? Yeah. Right. And but I mean, look, they can try to push the covid narrative and I call it a narrative now because it's not true. But to have, you know, Governor Cuomo in New York get up there and act like they knew what they were doing. He's writing a book about how he beat it. Do you know that? Yes, I, I did hear that. But I mean, again, that's madness. And again, it is how can they with a straight face make the case that they know what they're doing? They have screwed this up every way they could. And so we have to do you know, I, I think I was on this show back in March or April warning about the need to open up as you were. Because the Democrat governors were not going to want to open the country back up. Yep, yep, yep. And everybody said at the time, no, 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 come on. People are going to get sick of it. The, even the Democrat governors are going to get sick of it. They'll they'll have the thing open up. And as time went on, it just became ever more clear that they want to keep the, the country shut down as long as possible. And I think Americans are absolutely sick of it.
0: I want to turn to China in a minute, but do you have any comment? I have. I must confess, I'm not following it closely Just because it kind of dulls my brain to think about it. But do you have any comment on this post office debate?
2: Well, only, only that, again, it's a big lie. The president, the president wants the post office to work, and so brings a businessman in to try to see if he can get the thing to work. And so, in, in an attempt to get it to work, the Democrats have conjured up the notion that the president wants to use the post office to steal the election. There's not a single part of this that is true. It is propagating again the big lie in the most despicable way possible. There's no other way. No other way to think about it. Yeah, we've lived, We're living in the age of of both fake news and the big lie. Yeah, sure and to the extent that the Democrats think they can get away with it. I mean, once you get away with enough lies, there's just, you know, Katie sure. bar the door. We're, we're just going to double down on every lie we have and, everybody and lives see if anybody, them. see if anybody's going to call us on it. And, 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 and the mainstream media is not going to, not going to stop them.
0: And just think of those eloquent writings by Vaclav Havel about people living the lie, knowing it's the lie, you know, the lie in communism. Say right. all, all is fine, Brian. Uh, your new book, "Communist China's War Inside America," and books, "Communist China's War Inside America." What? What is it? Where's it going on? What is that war? Well, where
2: do we see? Yeah, it? no, I, uh, Not much attention to China, by the way, at the Democrat convention. Yeah, almost, almost no attention by China at all. Yeah, and they, and they can't bring themselves either, you know, in any forum to blame China for the virus. You know, this is Trump's virus. In their mind and and even though they know it's not true even though large numbers of americans i think maybe 70 to 80 percent of americans think this was china's fault the democrat party cannot bring itself to blame china such as their devotion to globalism and the success of communist china witness all the things joe biden has said over the years and his own his own relations with them yeah uh but that that's really in a way a sub theme of this monograph I wrote for Roger Kimball and Encounter Books. And the point is the Chinese have gotten very good at knowing how to corrupt Americans. And they have spent the better part of 50 years with their intelligence service and their business contacts going through American society, co-opting, befriending, sponsoring, bribing those elites within this country that run our universities, that operate our big businesses, that are part of our media enterprises uh in the hopes that China could be the nation that would have a you know most favored standing in the eyes of american elites and the promise of making big money in china by all these folks is a very seductive thing and that and that that's really simply all I was writing about in this monograph to try to alert americans to the notion that when they hear something from one of these masters of the universe on Wall Street, one of these university professors on TV, that they have a conflict of interest. And that conflict of interest is their relations with communist China and the largesse they're receiving from the Chinese communist government. And I just can't tell you how how disturbed I was in writing this monograph about just how sophisticated the Chinese Communist Party is, and the Chinese intelligence service is.
0: Give us an example or two. And by the way, Wall Street, for the most part, right now is uh, is for Biden, not Trump. Correct?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the one, the one the one piece of uh, uh, one interesting thing is. This person who ran California's public employee retirement system, CalPERS, everyone's heard of it. It's the biggest retirement system in the country. And their chief uh, investment officer was a guy named Yu Ben Ming. Yu Ben Ming was his name. And he was part of China's Thousand Talent program. And this is a program that China runs to find the best and brightest and to cultivate them to be uh, friends with China. It's a, in a way kind of talent scouting that the Chinese government does to find friends and allies in the business and academic world. So uh, Meng was born in China, moves with his family to America, goes to the best universities, is, you know, among the most sophisticated financial minds in the country, works on Wall Street, uh, then goes and gets a senior job. As part of this Thousand Talents Program, over in Communist China, working for their central bank, and then goes from there to go work for Calpers as their chief investment officer, where he then directs, you know, millions and millions of dollars to be invested in Chinese corporations. And I wrote about it, and Congressman Banks. From Indiana, spoke about it, and then Calpers themselves did an investigation. And two weeks ago, the guy was fired because it turns out he didn't disclose all of his ties to Calpers when they hired him as the chief investment officer. And it turns out he was investing money himself, or he was he was investing Calpers funds in corporations. It looks like that he was also invested in personally, and it's an example of the just the ease with which People move between the government and business and the corrupting influence that, you know, relations with communist China bring. Now, again, the guy's a very smart guy and I'm sure a a very good investment manager. That's not the point. He's also deeply committed to the success of communist China and said as much in interviews. And the idea that this guy would become the chief investment officer of a big American retirement fund Kind of boggles the mind. But then you realize how different is that from a lot of what goes on on Wall Street today? And there is in these, this last, this last year of President Trump's first term, a lot of scrutiny going on of American investments in Chinese companies. And that I think is a very healthy thing. I write about that a bit, but you know, the the Trump administration is warning all sorts of people. All sorts of investment houses in New York, colleges and their investments, uh, the U.S. government and their their own investments in retirement funds about the danger of investing in communist China and Chinese corporations. And the world of Joe Biden is all about, you know, investing in China for the future. And the president is simply warning that that's a very bad idea.
0: All right. Biden's not wise to it. Or if he is, he doesn't care. He wants to make money out of China. But the president is wise to it. It's the president's policy wise and thoughtful and uh, aggressive or is his administration of mixed view on this i understand it's not unanimous in the cabinet
2: no it's not you know, well the, no it's not and the president's been very uh, thoughtful about this for the better part of 30 years just wondering what communist china was up to and wondering whether our dealings with them made any sense and he's criticized of course all the bad uh, hills that have been going on his cabinet is filled with a lot of business people who have seen this as well, but it's also filled or it also has Secretary Mnuchin at Treasury, who is a Wall Street investment banker who himself has had a lot of dealings in communist China. And he himself does not see China as the threat that many Americans do. And he certainly doesn't see it just by, by his own pronouncements the way the president does. And so I think that's a bit of controversy within the administration. But I will say the president right now is is uh, pretty much having his way, just given the fact that both the State Department and other parts of the government, the National Security Council especially, have been raising the alarm about China and the need to hold them accountable. Uh, I think the big, the next big shoe to drop here, of course, is this whole question of China's defaulted sovereign debt that you and I have talked about before. Yes, we have, yeah. and. Uh, There's a new Senate resolution. And just uh, I guess it was yesterday, Congressman Mark Green introduced uh, his own resolution calling on the administration to require that China pay back its defaulted sovereign debt that Americans own. 20,000 Americans families own it. And it has a valuation of, you know, one point six trillion dollars which is no small sum of money (laughs) these days, and calling on the administration to hold China to account. And I think this is the next uh, shoe to drop, that I think the president, having seen all the Chinese bad behavior in the South China Sea, all their ongoing aggressiveness and just being provocative in ways that that are needless, other than to intimidate the United States, and with COVID having done what it has done to the U.S. economy. And Having killed 170,000 Americans, I think the president's going to hold them to account. And I think this sovereign debt that China owes America is one of the key ways of doing it. It's not well known, but I would, I would encourage people to look at this resolution, these two resolutions, the the Senate ones by Marsha Blackburn and Martha McSally. Uh, And I think it's pretty clear we, we have a, we have a president, Donald Trump, who sees China for who they are. And wants to to hold them accountable, and then we have a candidate, Joe Biden, who either will say nothing about China, or will say favorable things about China, and that's a really big contrast okay. for Americans today.
0: And you think that? Yeah, you think he's going to win?
2: I do. Okay, All and right. I, I talked to enough people around the country. Look, it's politics; anything can happen. And you know, but I, I think a lot of Americans around the country want to see their civilization defended no kidding and the president has been outspoken in its defense and the democrats have been silent and yeah, the, and the answer, contrast alone is is pretty powerful yeah
0: the answer isn't well you know these cities are being attacked cops are being defunded people getting killed random violence in the streets children being shot all over the place you know joe biden brings up george floyd's daughter what about all these kids who have been shot you know since they don't get mentioned. Their, their lives don't matter. So all that's going on. And uh, the, the selling point, Joe Biden is, is empathetic. He hugs people and takes down the number of elevator operators, you know, and calls them up. I just, I don't see it. I just don't see it. There's a the sense of this horrible pall on the country that they're they're making, they're describing, and then their response to it is a, is a a guy who hugs. No policy.
2: Right. No people anyway. Right. Well, I think the key speeches, though, at the convention, to to circle back, the key speeches were by Michelle and Barack Obama. And they both gave a dystopian view of the country and basically said things are miserable and they're going to stay miserable so long as Donald Trump is president and the city. They didn't say it quite this way, but implicit were your cities are going to burn unless you vote for Biden, because if you vote for Biden, we will turn off the violence. Now again, I, I, I may be exaggerating, but only slightly. Do you think they can that, turn it off? By the way, yes.
0: All right. You yeah. think they sh- shift gears and say, "Okay, hire cops and shut it
2: down"? Oh, if, if, first, first of all, Biden won't get elected. But if he did get elected, they would shut it down uh, simply to demonstrate the point. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they need to condition people. Yeah. That this is how they have to live their lives. Yeah, I got you. Look, I, I I think there's going to be a siege on Washington. The last 50 days of the election, I think. I think your listeners ought to be watchful of this. That I think they're going to try to make Washington D.C. unlivable and simply attack the White House on a nightly basis to demonstrate, you know, Antifa and BLM and the left's dissatisfaction with the country. Wow. Okay. And so they know that. They, Look, unfortunately, I think they believe violence works. Gotcha. And that's that gotcha. they're making. And I, I think Americans are going to look at that and reject it and embrace Donald Trump's defense of America and American civilization.
0: Well said. Brian Kennedy, the book, Communist China's War Inside America. It's encounter books. It's available on Amazon. As always, Brian, thank you very, very much. Great to be with you, Bill. Okay. And Talk blah. to you later. Talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: You are listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org.
1: You are listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Now let's welcome Joel Farkas to the show. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow of the American Strategy Group here in Washington. First of all, Mr. Farkas, uh, you generate a lot of interest, as you know your comments and we had a, an email from a, a listener who said uh, actually it was a phone call i got from a listener said i was listening to Joel Farkas. he says you know New York all these rich people are leaving I may not mean the end of New York i was thinking of your cousin isn't Fred Siegel your cousin all right yes yeah yeah, yeah once in yeah. future city yeah. or something anyway um, he said rich people leave so I understand rents are going down so maybe the middle class can just fill in and take the city over and make it middle class or middle class again
3: Well, uh, the rich people are leaving, but uh, there's more middle-class people than there are rich people, and the middle-class people are leaving. That's who's really, really leaving these places, California, San Francisco, LA, New York. So it is true rich are leaving, but they're kind of late to the party. The the middle-class people have been taken off, and um, the apartment uh, vacancy rates are skyrocketing. Our uh, rents are plummeting. Um, you know, um, there's another use for, for all that extra uh, extra space. Uh, the largest homeless population in America is San Francisco, Seattle, L.A., New York. Uh, they don't have to build anything new. Put them there. Um, but the middle class people are leaving. They're buying homes. Uh, they're working. And uh, <laughs> we're actually witnessing the, the, the greatest increase of wealth in america's history based on the fact that all these working middle-class families have just saved by leaving these cities between a thousand and two thousand dollars a month just on housing costs we've never seen anything like it in, in, in the history of the country
0: say that again
3: greatest increase in wealth yeah there's two things uh the two things that people economists look at what your current earnings are versus expenses and what your wealth is over time and uh Many economists attack the fact that home ownership is racist and it's, uh, and, and it's inequitable and it puts too much wealth in the hands of too few. But what we're seeing in housing right now, because the largest monthly expense, monthly expense that any working family has is their housing costs um, and their take-home pay, their net income, has just skyrocketed because their incomes have not gone down. Their housing costs have gone down precipitously—one, one thousand to two thousand dollars a month in most cases—and um, and and that is is current in increase in, in in net income, disposable income, and it also endures to the fact that they're getting out of renting and buying a home, and in the future they have this increase of wealth of the home that they own. It's never happened in the history of the country. This it this. The pace.
0: I'm just ignorant here. I see the the gain in having to pay a
3: lower rent
0: or mortgage, significantly lower. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that their incomes are going up with
3: COVID. No, I'm, in, I'm, I'm saying their incomes, even if they remain the same. So, oh, I you know, m- most economists talk about how much more money people ought to make. For instance, in LA, you got to make almost fifty dollars an hour just to just the rent the median in the median priced apartment. So they're saying fifty dollars isn't enough, it needs to go higher. What I'm saying is whoa, whoa, yeah. don't live in LA where you have to make fifty dollars. Move somewhere else where you can make thirty dollars and yet you make you're coming out better.
0: I got you. Okay. By the way, the cities you mentioned, run through that litany again, would you, from memory?
3: Uh LA, San Francisco, Seattle, New York. Uh, there's a bunch more, but those are the those are the famous ones for homelessness.
0: And and several of those figure prominently in these uh, riots,
3: acts of violence and aggression. Uh, there's <laughs> you walk through even walk through Denver, Colorado. You walk down 16th Street Mall. Businesses are boarded up. You walk through uh, any place in, in any any high high end shopping or even regular shopping area of L A, San Francisco, boarded up. Um, I have uh, uh, I have very close friends, ex partners, whose kids live in San Francisco. They own a home. They can't even they can't even go back to their home in San Francisco. They have to leave and go somewhere else because it's unsafe. These are these are terrible examples of any quality of life whatsoever. Forget about trying to create think a tough sending your kid to a school you can't even the adults can't even go
0: in and out of the house so uh yeah the whole school thing is another another thing i want
3: talk about but
0: so right back to my original question i was just thinking about the question itself and the premise is you know rich are leaving so middle class can move in but you say a lot of the middle class are leaving but you know same question for the middle class the rich why the hell stay you know the reason for new york is a lot of the reasons for new york are evaporating restaurants shows you know the activity and of course the increases in violence murder client of police so why the hell should
3: anybody stay rich middle class well, yeah. lower middle class they're 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 not staying they're, they're, That's they the are answer. Leaving. they have know. been leaving they have been leaving and and in the United States they don't need to stay there's so many options yes. and people are now re- working remotely people don't have to show up in the same places the experts on how to deal with covid have one thing that they agree a lot of people in a small space isn't helpful but they agree on that. Everyone agrees on a lot of people in the condensed small space. Well, if that's true, then why do they need to be in a high-rise apartment building, in a subway, on public transportation, uh, 8 million people in a, in a little island in New York? They, they, the answer, of course, it's rhetorical. They do not need to be there. It isn't, <laughs> they, the it, it, you know, the, uh, schools are not even opening, uh, the, the, the schools, uh, the teachers in New York are threatening to strike. Um, in, in Denver, Colorado, uh, the same discussion about schools, and, and they're, and, and all people are saying that one these these institutions are saying we have to learn how to deal with a small amount of people in a condensed classroom and they they're next to each other well in the old days, what that used to mean is small classroom sizes fine let's not have a small amount of people I mean a lot of a lot of people in a small condensed area let's have fewer people let's have Smaller classrooms. Which we do not need the, the L.A. Unified School District or the New York Public School District. All the people that are leaving, they're going to find another way to educate their kids, and they're going to be different locales, different schools. And, and, and this is this is going to turn into something really remarkable, in my view, in America for both housing for for, for, for families and for education. Um, I don't think we need to what the what the what the schools are teaching our kids and how they're dominating our kids. Kids are gonna go somewhere else. They're they're physically getting up and leaving and going somewhere else. That's what we're 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 witnessing. I think it's a great opportunity.
0: Parenthesis here, I just want to throw this in on the schools. Don't get me started as Seth, our friend Seth would say. Back to school instruction exactly. models, twenty five largest US school districts, remote learning only twenty, hybrid three, in person learning two. So you know there you go. And then this is from the NEA guidelines. In addition to them saying they want, you know, super large amounts of money, absolute protection against any possibility of infection, which, of course, no one can guarantee. But then i got to read you this. Guidance on reopening school buildings. Quote, ensure that school building reopening plans are inclusive and equitable for all educators and students by humanizing learning environments and designing spaces that are situated in the experiences of communities of color, not just through white, cis, hetero, and able-bodied lenses. What the hell?
3: <laughs> um,
0: no, no, I, I want to get to the bottom line and then have you comment. There's this whole fight about whether to go back to school or not. When you read what it is they want to get you back to, you know, I've been fighting for opening the schools. Maybe not. Maybe I don't, don't want, want them there. I don't to
3: fight anymore. I don't want you to fight anymore to open up the school. Yeah, I don't want my kids you, there. I want you to start new curriculum around the country in small towns and rural America and suburbs where kids will actually learn something, reading, writing, myth, arithmetic. By the way, maybe even Western civilization.
0: Okay, I was going to say, how about a how about a plug for Western Civ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, really. Uh, we
3: do not need to fight for this. this. This is
0: nonsense. Here I am. I've been fighting, you know, and supporting the president, supporting DeVos and everything, bringing back to school, getting back to school. What the hell are they going to learn when they get there? You know what they're going to get. One thing we know they're going to get apart from this gibberish is they're going to get this sixteen nineteen project? You know, America's conceived in slavery and always has been, and yep. hasn't stopped being it.
3: You know, I have spent a lot of time talking with you about housing and reasonably priced housing and families in and other places to move. Um, for the first time, for the first time, I think I, I'm, I'm realizing rather than fight the the curriculum of what is being taught. This is a, this is a, American citizens that they've shown it to us. They just packed up and left, and they're going to go find some other way to live. And they're not going to find another way to educate their kids. They're not going to—American citizens are not going to stop educating their kids. They're going to go educate them differently, somewhere else, some way else.
0: Well, I was talking to a doc yesterday who said he, he lives out in Virginia, Arlington. Arlington School's all remote. And I said, so you got to do remote? He said, nope, nope, we're going Catholic. We're in Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. I, I said, are you Catholic? He said, no. But that's where I want my kids educated. I remember a Jewish guy I knew in Chapel Hill who sent his kids to Catholic schools. I said, why are you sending with to Catholic schools? He said, I don't believe that stuff, but I'd like my kids to. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you this know, guy. I, 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 and there was a big fight in Maryland. And the governor was yeah. right on this one. He's been wrong on a lot of things. But the governor said, because the state, uh, the county, Montgomery County, tried to shut down all the private schools. along with of its order on shutting down the public schools. And the governor said, no. The private schools are, you know, they are ratcheting up and they're getting a lot more applications. And for the most part, you know, they don't buy into a lot of this stuff. I mean, they buy into curriculum fads and all, and, you know, fads are everywhere in in education. But um, it's interesting. There's your alternative right there in a lot of places are these little religious schools, Catholic schools, Christian schools.
3: Yes. Um, The, the, the effort to try to convince someone with a really bad idea that, that, number one, their idea is bad, and number two, that idea is hurting people, that's very difficult to do. Yeah. We don't have to do that. It yeah. doesn't, but when I say we, it's not even yeah. we. Yeah. We have 200-plus 200 plus two 200 million plus Americans who are choosing that on their own instinctively. Yeah. You
2: know,
3: I, 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 I just got this morning a, a report uh, because I keep I see this this stuff in, in the Denver metropolitan area. Again, Denver, um, Denver City Council, uh, in addition to schools, they just passed a, not city council, planning commission just passed a new ordinance in Denver that says any kind of transitional housing, halfway house, any kind of group home can be anywhere, any place within the city and county of Denver. Very controversial thing. All, all that means is, without getting into that particular issue, bit is you have urban areas trying to dictate to people where they live, how they live, and with whom they live. Americans are really, and and now we're dealing with shutting down schools because of COVID. Um, I understand we we hear those arguments every single day, many hours a day. I just got today's report as of August 11th on COVID cases in the Denver metropolitan area. Um, Denver metro area is about 3.2 million people, 3,200,000 people, hospitalizations in the metro area. 4,400. Number of deaths, 1,363. 42 deaths per 100,000 people. Yeah. I understand. I'm not advocating deaths are good, but I just would like your listeners to understand the, the, the magnitude or lack of magnitude of the issue that we're dealing with in terms of raw data and what it is causing. And I believe what it is causing are two things that I feel I'm, I'm passionate about. One, one is housing, and lower-cost housing, and the other is schools. And I, 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 there's nothing you and I have ever been able to say that has sparked this transformation of the United States that middle-class Americans, 200-plus million people, are taking advantage of. So the Democratic uh, progressive leaders, in these cities that are boarding up their, their businesses, I think middle Class America thanks you.
0: Yeah, the the one stat here, I, I did it in the last conversation with Brian Kennedy, your colleague Brian Kennedy, it's all friends here, we're all friends, is the yes. difference between the perception of COVID and the reality of COVID. And you ask the public, and they think about 20% of the country has it, and about 5% of the country has died, you know, like 15 million people. That's and 60,000, yeah. and mostly old yeah. with underlying conditions. So It is to the advantage, I take it from the last four days, of the Democrat Party to suggest that this plague is on us and getting worse and worse and worse. Did you watch any of the convention stuff? And what did you think?
3: I, I, I'm, I'm speaking for the, for the 250 million Americans that didn't pay attention. Okay. I watched a little. Okay, uh, but I'm I'm on the, I'm I'm part of the 250 million that didn't really pay much attention to the uh, to the convention.
0: Would you like a reel? I could send it to you.
3: Probably no, not. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank well, you. The,
0: p- the picture of America was not what you just described. It was extremely dreary. As I understand that the case, the country is in terrible shape because of Trump. First three reasons are Trump. Fourth reason is COVID. Fifth reason is Trump's handling of COVID, and the only way around this is to elect Joe Biden, who's going to hug everybody individually, despite the fact, as Claude says, that some of those hugs that he's given are questionable.
3: The last two months of housing data, June, uh, sales of homes far outpaced in June of 2020, far outpaced June of 2019. The numbers of July just came in, July 2020, far outpaced July. I just saw that. Um, far outpaced July of, of 2020. Um, let me give you, let me give a different perspective of why uh, uh, the middle-class families purchasing homes are doing what they're doing. Let me just give a different numerical description. In Kingsburg, Colorado, um, I am developing a, a, a community that will have 10,000 families that will live there ultimately. 10,000 families will move up there and save 1000 to $1,500 dollars on current dollars, on what they're currently paying in rent in a in a city that is shut down and boarded up, that translates over time when they're all there, that will translate into fifteen million dollars a month, or about a hundred and eighty million dollars per year, of money into the pockets of these families. If you did what Wall Street does and cap that and value that, it is a $1 to $2 billion evaluation in the hands of middle-class Americans by simply getting up out of a city that's boarded up, that's dictating to them how they live and where they send their kids to school or if they send their kids to school and moving 30 miles up the road. This is happening in thousands of cities across America right now. The Congress always sees them arguing about whether or not the Democrats will allow an extension of unemployment benefits of 400 or $500 a week. We've already done it. Did I say we? No, we have not. Americans have already taken advantage of their opportunity to live in America. They've already taken that that thousands to fifteen hundred dollars a month benefit, and on top of that benefit, they're going to own something that ultimately will increase in value. We know the Democratic Party, the Progressive Party. we know they despise homeownership. and we know that because Minneapolis passed last year an ordinance eliminating single family housing yeah. in their in their city. They said it's racist. they said it's a it's a it's a vestige to the uh, to the racist white supremacy past. L.A. is looking at the same thing. We have a Nobel Prize-winning economist like Joseph Stiglitz, who says the cause of income inequality, one of the main causes, are are, are, are you know, rent seekers and, and, and all the people who own something and get re- get returns on that, which means you own property, and you get a return on that for doing nothing. His words, not Mark. well. He's missing the point. This Nobel Prize winning Stiglitz economist, that the people who own it are, are right now their alternative is to go rent something that the or, get, or, or live in something the government provides and live in a confined area, paying way too much in an area they they don't want to live. Their housing costs are high. Their, their, their food costs are high. Their utility costs are high. Their transportation costs are high. These are, these are the guys who win a Nobel Prize who say this stuff. But the, Americans, the middle-class American people don't, don't listen to it, and they don't do it. And, and we're, we're, we're actually watching right now. <laughs> uh, we're going to find out in November whether or not people vote this way or not, but we're watching right now people taking advantage of these opportunities. One other thing that the reason why progressive Democrats really do not like, the politicians, not the economists, they don't like homeownership is because they know the voting patterns of someone who owns a home versus someone who rents. They know that. And by the way, this is, a lot of things they don't know, they do know that. Someone who owns a home has a whole different perspective on how they vote. It's just someone who rents in some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of uh, urban, decaying urban
0: locale. Single-family housing starts in July, notched a rate of 940000 an 8.2% yeah. increase from June's eight, 869000 According to the yeah. report, privately owned yeah. housing completions increased by 3.6%. Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. Up, yeah. Boom. Monthly new um, residential construction. Yeah, it's all over the news. Oh my gosh, yeah.
3: And then we're going to see something uh, uh, it's going to increase because um, a, lot of, a lot of times people who analyze housing they will say, well, that can't sustain itself because you don't have enough... Labor to build these houses. You know, you're going to hear that pretty soon. We need more influx of people to come and go, you know, do concrete and and paving and framing and, and roofing and things like that. We're going to run out of labor and the costs are going to go up. No, they're not. And because we have another, we're very innovative in this country. We have what's called manufactured housing, and manufactured housing can be built in fewer than 60 days, and it can be delivered. And the construction quality is every bit as good as any traditionally on-site built home. And for those who will listen to this and say, oh, there goes some sort of newfangled idea that has no way of succeeding, the largest the owner of the largest manufactured housing company in the country is Berkshire Hathaway. Huh. So you don't have to believe me. You can, you know, for all the people who you know who kneel at the foot of Warren Buffett, he owns. It. He not only owns the largest manufacturer of manufactured housing; he owns the largest lender for manufactured housing. So
0: this is like so, the uh, Carvana, where you order your car online that comes to your house. This is a house that comes to your house. <laughs>
3: A house that comes to your house or your lot. Yes, it is, and, yeah. it's, and, and, it's, and it's and the it's
0: quality is good.
3: Quality is superb, amazing. And Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae, the conventional financing in, in the United States. Fannie Mae has a has a new, has a program, a loan program. So. It used to be where people wouldn't lend on this. Well, Fannie Mae now has been lending on this for a decade, and they're gearing up to lend more because of the savings that people are going to have in buying this really high-quality home that is, uh, has different uh, construction standards. People will be able to buy a home that's hundred thousand dollars cheaper and still get a three and a half percent mortgage. This is where the future of, of uh, you know the the, the main things that, the main things that people uh, throughout history uh, care about food and water shelter, good air quality, things like that. these These are basic, basic rights. Unlike the progressive party who says everything in the world is a basic right. Um, Those are the basic rights. Well, and again, housing is the most expensive thing people pay for every month. The innovation of housing in in the United States is going to bring more more wealth to our citizens than anything we've ever seen. We've known this, but everyone was being told they need to live in an urban center because that's where innovation and creativity exists. That's where the jobs are. Guess what? People have figured out they don't need to be there anymore. There's nothing that says that we have to have these cities doing what they're doing or have the population they have. Nothing.
0: Fascinating. So this is a very different picture than the dreary portrait we got over the last four days. I won't make you watch it, but it was a pretty dreary (laughs) picture of the United States. Wondering why anybody would want to come here, much less live here.
3: Voters who have families who own a home don't have have, uh, an advocate other than president Trump, but that's what we're talking about. Voters who have a family, a home. Amazing.
0: Fascinating. Joel, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Always great. And uh, are you in this business, this housing business?
3: Yes. Wow. Yes, I am. And, and I, this is not, I'm not trying to sell anyone on it. No, 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 I understand. No, no, I just think it's important. Just
0: just think it's important for the audience here. You say you are, you know, that, so they know. Yeah.
3: I can tell you, um, uh, so so uh, yes, I am in this business, and I will say one more thing: the amount of wealth created by people who buy from me dwarfs anything I will ever make.
2: Yeah, sure.
3: And I'm proud of that. And you know, when you buy a car, or you buy an iPhone, or you buy one of these other things. Um, by the time you buy it, it you, you step off the lot, and it's worthless. Yeah, not this. This way. is a business that, yeah, not this one.
0: What is it you sell them? I'm just curious again I'm not not to poke into your pocket so I don't know I don't know your profit but what is it you sell them when you say you're in this business and they get a lot more out of it than you do what is it they're buying from you or your company companies
3: um, they ultimately they're buying a home and they own a lot and when they own a, a, a site the other thing that they have to be able to have access to is potable water and good, well, well done sanitary sewer treatment. I know that doesn't sound very sexy, sure. but best way for someone to be able to, to, to raise a family in a home in a community that they, uh, they enjoy is to have high quality water, high quality sanitation uh, treatment at a very good price and a nice lot and a beautiful home. And when they go to these urban areas, we see it all the time. Um, the water service is expensive. The water service is not very good, uh, and, and you know they, they, uh, the municipal water district will keep saying, um, "Use less, and we charge you more." Conserve conservation. Well, that's what that means is people use less, they conserve, but does the price go down? No, the price keeps going up. So all of these things add up to add on to what people pay, and what I deliver is something where they have a very very reliable, high quality. Uh, set of utility services, community in a home, and that's all part of the uh, the, the process. It's all of those things. Right? Wonderful. By. Wonderful.
0: Wonderful story. Wonderful and encouraging. And I shouldn't have watched the DNC, but since I did, I'm glad I heard you
3: a second. That's good. Well, I'm glad. You know, there's a few million people that watched it, and you know, it's not like nobody watched it. I so had I'm to do it. I
0: do it so you don't have to. It's my job, you
3: know? Job. <laughs> thank, you. thank you.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Farkas. As always, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to TheBillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter. William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. to me. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett podcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.